How's everybody tonight? Doing good, I hope. Well, we're going to continue our, the journey we begun in the book of Leviticus last week. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Leviticus. We'll be in chapter 3. And as we take a look at this, it's funny because we talked a little bit about it last time that it's probably the most avoided book in the entire Bible. Uh, nobody seems to get very excited about Leviticus and, and seeing uh, the things that, that is laid out in the Scripture for us there. But I'm reminded of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. You may remember Satan came to him to tempt him. And the Bible says that Jesus was hungry. He fasted for 40 days. The devil came to him and said, you can turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds from where? The mouth of God. The entire book of Leviticus is straight from the mouth of God. It is God speaking, laying out concepts and precepts for his people that showed them how to have that which has been missing since Genesis. Remember, when we study the Bible, Genesis shows us the fall of man. Man's condemned for, for sin. In Exodus, we see man redeemed, right? The Lord redeems his people from the land of Egypt. In Leviticus, God teaches us how to have fellowship with him. Koinonia. How to have communion. And as we look at, and we saw a little bit last week as we began, as we look at the different offerings that are laid out for us in the book of Leviticus, we're going to see, we're, Leviticus is going gonna, is gonna to cover five. Um, that's not every offering. As we get into Numbers and Deuteronomy, there'll be a couple of others uh, that the Lord lays out for them there. But in these five offerings, here's what you're going to see. First, you're going to see uh, Jesus, his person. And the first two offerings, burnt offering and the, and the meal offering or the grain offering, we see Total commitment, right? Jesus' total commitment to the Father is pictured in a burnt offering. We see a burnt offering, we know there's no way to be a partial burnt offering. You're, you're either burnt or you're not burnt. You're either on the altar or you're not on the altar. We see that full and complete obeisance. We see that complete devotion that Jesus had in his, his ultimate commitment. And we talked a little bit for you and me that those offerings, the people were... We're acting out, if you will, that concept of being committed. Are we going to be committed? Anybody can be half committed, partially committed, a little committed. You know, the world, we can see a lot of folks in the world that are not completely committed. but, But when you see that one totally given to whatever it is, you can sure tell them head and shoulders above everyone else, can't you? That commitment is so incredible. Well... Tonight, as we take a look, we're going to begin with the peace offering in chapter 3. Now, the peace offering, different from the others, the peace offering uh, it speaks of our fellowship with Him. The peace offering would follow the burnt offering. It, it speaks of that communion. Literally, if you want to picture it in your mind, the peace offering is God inviting sinners over for a meal. And sitting down and eating. You remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears and opens the door, I will come into him and what? Sup with him. I'll sup with him. And so we see that pictured for us, that picture painted in the peace offering. The peace offering that speaks of that ultimate communion with God. And as we consider it, as you, as you hold your place here, let me read for you Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace offering spoke all, is all about that relationship. It's all about that time that God so missed from Genesis. Remember? Every day, the cool of the evening, what did God and Adam do? They walked through the garden. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, one day we're going to get to experience that. Praise God, I'm excited for that day. But until that day, we're, we're missing that, that opportunity that we were created to spend with our Creator, that we were 
created to, to be with God, to, to spend time with him, to walk with him in the cool of the evening. And that, folks, is pictured for us in a peace offering. That's what the peace offering was all about. Coming and drawing near God. Coming and bringing yourself before him. Presenting yourself to him. Not based on our ideals or what we want or what we need, but totally about what God said. This is how you come to me. This is how we do it. This is how we will experience the peace that God wants us to have. In Ephesians chapter 2, Scripture lays out for us Paul uh, giving some guidelines on this uh, same concept, beginning in verse 13, says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember, how was it that they came with the peace offering? We've got the burnt offering having taken place. We've got the grain offering having taken place. Now, by the blood of Jesus Christ, picture in those offerings, what can we do? We can draw near. We can draw near for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Here's what he's talking about. We have this written requirement against us, written ordinances. The law shows us that we need some, we have a sin problem we have to deal with. We have a sin problem, there has to be a sacrifice, there must be uh, shed blood, and Jesus Christ, having become that sacrifice for us that was pictured back there, has become our peace. And that which separated us from God, he tore at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? Split right down the middle, right? From where? Bottom to the top or top to the bottom? Top to the bottom. Who tore it? God did. Folks, that veil was between 18 and 24 inches thick. You ever seen a 24-inch thick curtain spontaneously tear from the top to the bottom? No, it's God opening the way. What was, what was the veil? What did the veil shut us off from? Communion with God. Because one man, once a year, by, by offering sacrifice, could enter into God's presence. Now, after Jesus Christ, we can all enter boldly before the throne room of grace, right? We can all enter in because he has tore down that wall and taken that charge against us and pulled it out of the way, the Bible says, he nailed it to the cross. And we're made new. We're not the same old things we were before. Now we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that we would go forward and do the things that God's called us to do. All of those things pointing us, picturing for us this peace offering. Look, in verse 16 he says that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. What's the enmity? Man was at war with God. You have you have the the... In the Bible, three different categories of people prior to Jesus Christ. You got the Jew and the Gentile, really two. After Jesus Christ, you have three. Jew, Gentile, and church. And what's the church? Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free. There's no difference anymore. In Christ, there's no difference. We're made one. It pictures that, that communion, the koinonia, the fellowship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the peace offering. Jesus Christ is our peace child. I don't know if you ever had a chance to, to read that book, Peace Child, but it's about a missionary who was in Africa trying to reach out to the indigenous tribes there. And as he's trying to reach out, they're struggling because for some of these guys, some of these tribes, you say lamb to them and they say, what's that? Never seen one of those before in my life. So they're trying to help them understand the concept of the, of the God becoming the sacrifice, giving his life for the people, and, and they were struggling over the concept. So the missionaries, what they would do, they'd move in and live with them and try to find ways to pull Jesus into what was going on around them. And as they stayed with them, they discovered that they had this deal. When two tribes were at war, 
they were, one tribe would send what they called a peace child to the other tribe. And that chief would raise the peace child. And they would have peace one with another because the other tribe's not going to go to war. Because now they've got kin. They're apart. They're, they're unified by that relationship. And the missionaries began to say, well, what would happen if the chieftain who took the peace child killed the peace child? And they said, oh, that's war. Utter war, obliteration. They'd never stop fighting over that. And so the missionaries took that concept and said, Jesus Christ is the peace child given. Only when he was given to the world, the world killed him. And yet, by his sacrifice, through his death, we can all have a relationship with God. And they were able to reach the the tribes that were there as a result. So when we look at it, we want to understand our ability to have peace with God, folks. It didn't come because how good we are. Doesn't come about how much we pray, how long you pray, all of those things. Our ability to have peace with God solely and specifically comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Our righteousness is what? Filthy rags, right? The best I can do is just garbage. Now that doesn't mean I don't want to try to do those things that please the Lord, but I need to realize my righteousness doesn't come from that. My righteousness comes from my faith and trust placed in Jesus Christ who is our peace offering? Well, as we look at Leviticus, as we see, we're going to see Jesus jumping off of the pages for us. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he will offer it without blemish before the, God, before the Lord. And we've seen that over and over again, right? What do we give the Lord? The garbage left over or the best we got? without blemish you don't want the sick you don't want the lame you don't want the broken he wants our best in our relationship with him god's call to us is be ye holy as i am holy so the lord wants us to follow him with our best effort not the not our least effort but the best the very best that we can give and you'll notice something right away different about the peace offering it could be male or female the burnt offering was male why Because it pictured the person of Jesus Christ. The peace offering pictures our communion with him. It doesn't matter. It's not not anymore about the picture of the sacrifice. It's what's wrought through the sacrifice. So the peace offering is going to picture that communion for us. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons and the priests will sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Again, we talked about this last week. Who's responsible for Christ's death? Each one of us. Who was it that took the life of the sacrifice? Wasn't some priest. It was the fellow that brought it. He put his hand on his head. Can you imagine? Just to me, it's so beautiful of a picture. And you consider trying to teach your children about what sin does. And that first time when your son or daughter is old enough to go to the tabernacle and, and... partake in that and put her or his hand on that on that little lamb or on that goat or on that bull whatever the case was and confess their sins and then cut its throat Uh, such an incredible picture of the of what sin does of why we don't want to be caught up in it why we don't want to play around with it because sin destroys verse three and they shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the lord the fat that covers the entrails and, and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he will remove. Now, at the time, those were considered the best parts of the meat. Everybody loved the fat. Everybody loved the, the, that particular part that God was taking. And, and people probably around that time would say, man, Lord, what's up? You're taking all the good stuff. You're taking all the best. We know things a little different today, don't we? What happens when you eat all that fat? Besides, you get fat. All that stuff plugs up your arteries, start having heart attacks. Start. So the Lord takes all that, takes all that and says, that's my part. 
Because that stuff's not going to hurt me. And he's going to have that part offered up in the smoke and the burnt offering. And the rest is going to be cooked for the one who brought the offering. And he's going to share in that meal with God as God's is being burnt up, his is being prepared. It's, it's a picture of setting down and having communion with the Lord. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay, so we're seeing three sacrifices. Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering. All sweet smelling sacrifices to the Lord. Important to realize they are not all sweet smelling sacrifices to the Lord. We'll see as we continue on. But these are... They speak of the first two, Jesus' sacrifice to make us right with God, and this one, our communion with Him. And those things, those are sweet to the Lord. The Lord loves that. God wants us to commune with Him. God wants us to have fellowship with Him. He goes on. If His offering is a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord, and it's of the flock, whether male or female, again, He offers it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's sons, again, will sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Again, the same thing takes place, but you're going to notice different parts of each animal are what is given to the Lord. As we look now uh, to that which is of the flock, a lamb or of the goat, it says, and he will offer... From that uh, sacrifice, as an offering of fire to the Lord, it's fat, and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, the kidneys, the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar, what did it say? As food. An offering made by fire to the Lord. The whole picture is God supping with his people. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And they, this is a free will offering. They can offer it or they can never offer it. But when they offer it, that's that picture. Drawing near to God. Calling on him. Doing what it takes to, to stand in his presence and to enjoy a meal together with the Lord. Now, if his offering is a goat, he will offer it before the Lord. He will lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And he will offer it from the offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails, the fat that's on, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar again as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma, for all the fat is the Lord's. It all belongs to him. And this will be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor the blood. Now later on chapter 17 is going to tell us why. Why is the blood so important? Blood's not for eating. The blood is the life. In the blood is the life. The ability for us to experience life with God is because of the blood. So that's not just going to be looked at as some kind of common meal, some kind of common food. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 17. So he's saying these things are holy to God. These things are holy to him. This is God's part. We have no sense in arguing about it. It belongs to him. So if we want to have communion with God, if we want to have fellowship with him, one of the things that will help us along that journey is to learn to give God what's his. It belongs to him. The rest is mine, but this is his. Laying that out before the Lord, giving it unto him so that we can come into his presence. Now he begins in chapter 4 like this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, 
If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, that which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. Next one, sin offering. You're not going to see the Lord say that this is a sweet-smelling aroma. The sin offering is going to point to the work that Christ did. The work. He who knew no sin did what? Became sin. He didn't just wear sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And we'll see in the sin offering a a reflection, a picture of what Christ did on the cross. We're going to see that work which he has done. But you notice what it said. He who sins, how? Unintentionally. Man, is there a sacrifice for intentional sin? No, there isn't one. For intentional sin, all there is is judgment. For unintentional sin, there was a sacrifice. If you were in rebellion against God, it didn't matter how many times you would take a bull or a lamb or a goat. You were in rebellion against God. You were against what God was trying to do. And so... Because of that attitude in your rebellion, there's no, there's no sacrifice for you. But listen, this is what he's talking about. That sinning intentionally is speaking of an idea, not so much of an accidental sin or an on-purpose sin, but the attitude of rebellion in your heart and in your mind. To sin intentionally is to, to sin literally, in the original language, high-handed. Like in defiance to God. Yeah, I don't care what you say is what I'm doing. That attitude, there's no sacrifice for. And it pictures, it shows, it delineates for us that heart that is closed off to receiving the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's when the scripture speaks of unintentionally. It means I'm not high-handed. I'm not flagrant before the Lord. It's not, I'm not talking about accidental, non-accidental. I'm talking about attitude of the heart. Okay, so when the scripture lays that out, hey, there's no atonement available for the one whose heart is defiant against God or who is rejecting God's rule over him. That's the idea. That's the idea behind what he's saying. So I want you to see something. We're going to go probably kind of quick through this, but I want you to see that there is more accountability based on your position with the Lord. Look what he lays out for us right here. Okay, he's talking about the priest, right? What did the priest have to offer up? The priest had to offer up a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Verse 4. He will bring the bull to the door. Blah, 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 blah. He'll bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle. The priest will dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Now keep in mind as we consider this sin offering, this sin offering, the work that is done with this sin offering occurred in heaven. When Jesus died on the cross and he went to the Father. As he ascends to the Father, you're going to see the same thing taking place there. Well, he's going to sprinkle this blood uh, seven times. Seven is the number of completion or perfection before the Lord in front of the veil. And the priest will put some of the blood on the horns of the altar uh, of sweet incense before the Lord. Remember the golden altar, the altar for prayer the place where god's people would come to pray where the priest would offer up intercessory prayer so they're going to anoint the four corners of that altar with the the blood of the bull again this is a sin offering sin offering at the base of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he will take from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering the fat that covers the entrails, all the fat which is on the entrails, the kidneys, the fat that's on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe 
of the liver, above the kidneys, he will remove all these things. And it was taken from the bull, the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. So that part, which traditionally was given to the Lord, is going to be burnt at the burnt offering. That's the bronze off, the, the bronze altar there at the tabernacle. But, he goes on to say, now, but the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails and awful, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes will be poured out, burn on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. He's going to go outside the camp and just burn off the rest of it. There's no meal. There's nobody partaking of any part of this. This is a sin offering. Here's the important part of that. As you consider that, flip with me to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, and by the way, Hebrews is an incredible commentary uh, on Leviticus. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, we'll, we'll begin at verse 10. 13 verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. That's what we just read about. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one that is to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. See, Jesus Christ is that perfect picture of the sin sacrifice. Where was he crucified? Where, was it, where did he shed his blood? Where was he beaten? Inside the city. He was beaten, he was thrashed, he was, he was flayed open. Where was he crucified? Outside the city. Outside the city is where his body is laid. Outside the city is where that took place. It pictures for us a sin offering. For sin had to be taken outside. Sin had to be destroyed. That's why he who knew no sin had to become sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. He makes that perfect sacrifice for you and I. And we see it pictured here. So here's who we're talking about, right? The priest. The priest, if he sins, he's got to do the sin sacrifice with a bull. All right? Let's look at the next category. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly that they have done something against the commandments of the Lord in anything uh, which should not be done and are guilty... When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly will offer, what are they offering? A young bull for the sin, and they'll bring it into the tabernacle. So, the whole nation is guilty. They have the same sacrifice as one priest. Why is that? Because that example of that one priest is going to affect the whole congregation, isn't it? The Bible lays out for us that we ought to realize that there are stricter, there's a stricter condemnation to those who are in position of authority when they sin. You know, regular Joe, he can come to church, sin, nobody may know anything about it. But the preacher, he sins, everybody's going to know. And it's got to be dealt with in a different way. Uh, I've, I've seen it take place within bodies where Things that have happened either to the pastor and the pastor's family, they had to be dealt with corporately because it is a position of authority. And so they, they, they needed to see in a greater degree even more than what's required of the regular person on the street because they're in a position of authority. And look at what it says here. The whole nation is capable of sin. 
The whole nation. doesn't mean the whole nation sinned. It means the whole nation is attributed or accounted with sin. That's important for us to realize. It doesn't have anything to do with everyone being a part. There is a time, a point where God holds a nation accountable for the choices that they made. So when the nation of Israel would sin, this was the offering. Look what happens in verse 15. And the elders of the congregation will lay their hands on the head of the bull. So then all the elders of the, of the city, of the, of the nation, come together. The, the 70, in, in the case of Israel, lay their hands on that bull, confess the nation's sin to that bull. Sin is transmuted or transferred in a, in a, as a figure of speech to that animal. And then that animal will pay the price for their sin. And the bull will be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest will take some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest will dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it again seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. Right in front of the veil. Remember, what is being paid for? The, uh, the price, the opportunity for me to cross that veil. For that priest, this sin offering, it would happen every feast. Every feast. I'm not talking about a Passover. I'm not talking about the burnt offering, peace offering. A sin offering was offered every single feast. But one in particular, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That one day when one priest could enter into the presence of God. But before he could enter into God's presence, the blood of the sin offering had to be there in front of the veil so that he could walk through. That the sin was paid for. The picture that's being painted there is the blood of bulls and goats. But Hebrews tells us the, the blood of bulls and goats never removes sin. It's a picture of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who did remove, tear the veil, and enable us that we could enter in, that we could come into God's presence. So they put the blood before the veil. And he will put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, uh, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he will pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar, the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he will take all the fat and, and burn it on the altar. So he's going to take that same parts, burn it on the altar. But what happens to the rest? And he will do with the bull as he did with the bull of the sin offering. He, thus he will do with it. So the priest will make an atonement for them. And it shall be forgiven them. God would forgive them. Whatever they had done, whatever had taken place, it would be forgiven them. It's an important thing for us to remember. Well, then he'll carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. You notice it didn't say for a sweet-smelling aroma, right? It's not a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Sin is bad, horrible. It destroys, it kills. Yet God was willing to become that which he so hated so that he could renew our fellowship with him. Okay, verse 22, a ruler. Well, when a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against the commandments of the Lord and God in anything which should not be done and is guilty of his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge he will bring an offering of what? A kid of the goats. So the priest has to do more. The people have to do more. The ruler, he's just a part of the a piece in the puzzle. But he's not the main thing. We look at our nation today and we often want to blame the leadership for where our, our nation is going. But the reality is God left us here to be salt. Salt is to preserve. Salt is to, is to keep something clean, to cleanse, to, to, to be the taste of Jesus Christ here. It wasn't President Obama who let him take prayer out of school. It wasn't President Obama who, who let him pull the Bible out. It, wasn't, it was the complacency of the believers in this country that let that stuff happen. And now we're headed, you know, we're, we're head over heels tumbling down the hill. You're not, we're not going to stop that tumble. What we can do is, 
is, is fulfill our role. Step up and be salt. Step up and be light. So the, the ruler, he's not held in as high accountability as the priest was or as the nation was. He just offered a kid of the goats. He will lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they killed the burnt offering before the Lord. Again, it's a sin offering. The priest will take some of the blood. He's going to put it in all the same places. And he will burn all of its fat on the altar, just like he burned the fat of the others. So the priest will make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it will be forgiven him. You're going to hear that phrase over and over again. The Lord would forgive them. Just as when we come and lay claim to our sin offering, Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. How many of our sins were still future when Jesus died on the cross? Well, so which one didn't he die for? He died for them all. Everyone that will be committed, everyone that will take place has been covered by him. Okay, and again, it's going to be taken outside the camp. Verse 27. Now, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something. Now we come to the, the common people. Or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he will bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for the sin which he has committed. Again, now he can offer up the common man a little bit lesser. He's going to offer a a female kid up as his sacrifice. Remember, the picture of the person of Jesus Christ is a burnt offering. And the grain offering. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? Unless this corn falls to the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. It dies alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those are picturing the person of Jesus Christ. The peace offering is is picturing our fellowship with him because of what he's done. The sin offering points to his work. Died outside the camp, burned, destroyed, utterly demolished, wiped out. Sin had to be taken outside of the camp. And that's what is being pictured here. Now he will lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at a place of the burnt offering. And the priest will take the blood with his finger. Again, seven times he's going to drop it in front of the veil. He's going to touch the four corners of the golden altar. He's going to pour it out on the ground in front of the bronze altar. And then they're going to take the rest of the animal outside the camp and burn it. Burn it outside the camp. Again, their sins will be forgiven him. It tells us in verse 31. His sin will be forgiven him. Verse 32. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he will bring a female without blemish. Now you'll notice still, everything that they're bringing is what? Without blemish. Perfect. The best. They're offering the best of what they have. And depending on where their position is, they're either offering a bowl, which was much more expensive, or they're offering a a little female or ewe lamb. But either way, when they offer it, the blood is being sprinkled in front of the veil. It's being touched to the four corners of the prayer, intercessory prayer, covering for sin. Why? What does our sin do? Doesn't our sin hinder our prayers? Separates us from God. So that blood offering is put on the place of prayer so that our prayers are heard. That sin offering, blood is put in front of the veil so we can enter in. That sin offering then is thrown outside the camp and burned all up and there's nothing good about it because it's sin. That same thing that Jesus Christ has done for us, that he has done uh, through that sacrifice that he gave. So the same is done here. Uh, Verse 34, the priest will take some of the blood and he'll place it again on the altars. Uh, The burnt offering, pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He'll remove its fat and he'll burn it just like the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest will burn... Burn that on the altar according to the offerings made by the fire for the Lord. 
So the priest will make atonement for his sin he has committed, and it will be forgiven him. Okay, that's the sin offering. Again, the sin offering is not one of the sweet-smelling aromas. That's sin. Now, the next one we're going to look at is a trespass offering. People will argue from now to the end of time the difference between a sin and a trespass. The only difference you're going to see in the scriptures is the trespass offering is for specific events or occurrences of sin in someone's life. Specific things that God calls out on. Chapter 5, verse 1. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether it is seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. What's he saying? If someone takes an oath, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth will help you, God? In our country, a lot of people swear to that, right? And they sit up there and lie. God said... That's a trespass. And you have to offer a trespass offering. You have sin. What's the purpose? What's the point? Folks, grab a hold of this. Our sins are to be confessed specifically. That whole thing we did when we were kids, when we said, Father, forgive me for my sins. As we laid ourselves down, that don't fly. Because here the Lord makes a different dif- differentiation between sin offering and trespass. You, you confess what you've done. Confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us all in righteousness. But you have to confess it. Not just try to ignore it. Not just try what's a big deal. Who cares? It's a little thing. No, the Lord says confess. He goes on, or if a person touches any unclean thing, any unclean thing, whether it's a carcass of an ancient beast, or I'm sorry, of an unclean beast, or the carcass of an unclean livestock, or the carcass of unclean creepy things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean. Did you see what it said? Even if he is unaware of it. What does that mean? It means sin is at our nature. Is what we are. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. If you understand the difference, that's an important difference. I don't become a sinner based on what I did. I was a sinner from my mother's womb. Coming from my mother's womb, I was a sinner. And as I come from my mother's womb in that sin... I am going to be not only born in sin, but then I'm, I never had to teach one of my kids to lie, cheat, steal, or do one thing wrong. I never had to say, kids, come here. Let me tell you how to properly put a lie together. So that it would be, no, they had it all down. From like two years old, three years old. How long does it take your little baby, that cute little kid of yours, to, to you go, no. And they look at you with that big old grin on their face, and they go do it anyhow. We didn't have to teach them to do that. It's part of them. So listen, the Lord says, hey, it doesn't matter whether you know it or you don't know it. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're unclean. On verse 3, or if he touches a human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Okay, this is a key. Remember what Paul said. Paul wrote to us in his epistles that when he understood covetousness, then he knew sin. Then he understood what sin was doing in his life. Well, if you don't understand it, you don't. That's why the Bible teaches an age of accountability. Because there becomes a time in everyone's life where we recognize, man, that's my sin. I see this, I see that. When we do, we're guilty. At that moment, we become guilty. He goes on, verse 4. Well, if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he will be guilty in any of these matters. 
Let your, what's the Bible say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Period. No, well, I thought about it and I don't want to do it. Well, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Perfect example in Judges, a guy named Jephthah. Jephthah was called by the Lord to go into battle. He delivers the people. He's so excited about the deliverance that God gave him on his way home. He says, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. Whatever comes out of my house first, the first thing I see comes from my house, I'm going to offer it to you as a burnt offering. You know the first thing he saw? His daughter. His daughter. So he gave her, I can't remember, a week to mourn her virginity. And then she is given to the Lord and will spend the rest of her day to, given to him, consecrated to God, not burnt on an offering because that was illegal. It was against God's law to have a human burnt offering. So she would be given to him. But God expects them to keep it. So he says, be careful what silly things you utter out of your mouth. The things that you say. How many times do we swear? Oh, no, I, I swear to God. I swear. I remember doing that when I was a kid. All kind of stuff. Sometimes I was blatantly lying and, and swearing to God. Hey, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. That's my sin nature coming out, creeping out. Verse 5. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters, what's he do? He shall confess that he has sinned in that thing folks when we look at first john 1 9 if we confess our sins we need to understand it's the same thing he's talking about here but it's not generic it means to name it name it you know where that's the whole point of this chapter hey if you don't know it's sin don't worry about it but what you know is sin you confess that to god and what does he do? He cleanses you of what? Just that one? It says all unrighteousness. If we confess, he will cleanse. And that's what is being pictured in the trespass offering. Hey, we, there needs to be confession. Confession needs to be made. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to set up a, a little cubicle up here and everybody's going to come and sit down and, and tell me all the things they've done wrong. No, you confess to the Lord. You don't need to confess to anybody else. You're able to enter into that throne room of grace and make your confessions known. Same thing is happening here. Hey, the people were called to confess, specifically confess. And he will bring his trespass offering to the Lord. For the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats, as a sin offering. Okay, so he's going to offer basically the same sin offering but the difference is there's a confession that's being made. There's an understanding of a specific sin that's taken place in my life. And in order for me to receive that cleansing, that right relationship with God, that ability to enter into that communion with him, I got to make confession. I got to be willing to say, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. This is sin. You know, forgive me. And God will forgive. He will forgive their iniquities. And so... If he's not able to bring a lamb then uh, to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, he can bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering, the other is a burn offering. So one would be offered as a burn offering. You remember, he'd wring the neck, split the chest, spread out the wings. Perfect picture of the, of the dislocation that would take place on the cross. Lay it on the altar and let it burn. That would be the burn offering. The other offered as a sin offering. Now, what happened with the sin offering? Remember, they take the parts that were the Lord's, that would be burned on the burnt offering. Everything else taken outside the camp and burned outside the camp as an <clears throat> offering for sin. Now, he goes on. Uh, he shall bring uh, them to the priest who will offer that which uh, is for the sin offering first. So, in order to come into that place of communion to the peace offering, first you had to deal with sin. So you had to make the atonement for sin. There was a sin offering first. Then there was the burn offering. 
Then there was the peace offering. First we deal with sin. Then we look and understand in a clear way the person of Jesus Christ. And that ushers us in to communion with him. Into his presence. Through those things we come into his presence. Well he goes on and says, Now then he will sprinkle the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar. The rest of the blood will be drained at the base of the altar. It's a sin offering. And he will offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. We talked about that earlier in chapter 2. But if he's not able to bring two turtle doves, okay, so first he's at a level where he can bring a, a, a kid or a lamb. He could bring a, a goat or a lamb. But if he, if he doesn't have a goat or a lamb, he can bring turtle dove or two young pigeons. But even if he can't afford that, if he's so poor he doesn't have the ability to bring that before the Lord, he is not able to bring two turtle doves, then he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. One-tenth of an ephah. Now, folks, if we study God's Word from page to page, Genesis to Revelation, then we can make this notation. One-tenth of an ephah is a man or woman, a person's daily bread. It was a prescribed amount of manna that they were able to pick up every day in the wilderness for their daily bread. So what's he saying? You don't have a turtle dove, you come with a loaf of bread or a few slices, whatever a tenth measured out to. You would bring that. You would bring that daily bread, lay it out. Hey, this is, this is my offering. You see, God made every opportunity. There's nobody that's left out. Everybody could, could meet the, the need. Everyone could receive the sacrifice. Everyone could, could come to that place where they would receive forgiveness of sins. It wasn't only the ones who could afford a lamb. Only the ones who could afford the birds. No, it's, it's everybody. A tenth of an ephah for... For all I know, that's a cup of flour. A cup of flour. They bring that. And they offer that. That's bloodless. Yet God is going to honor that offering. He's going to honor what they give. Look what he does. And there will be no oil on it. What's oil a picture of? Holy Spirit. No, Holy Spirit's not anointing our sin. Right? It's a sin offering. So there's no oil on it. There's no frankincense on it. When we saw the grain offering before, remember, when we studied the grain offering, it was a picture of Jesus Christ, who was filled with the Spirit, who was an intercessory prayer. So in that offering, we see oil in that offering. We see frankincense. We see all that stuff. All that stuff given up to Him. But in this one, because it's it's an offering for sin, you're not going to put any oil on it. No oil. Nor will there be frankincense. It's a sin offering. It's a picture of, of the loss that sin brings, that sin costs. He will bring it to the priest, and the priest will take his handful as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made of fire. And the priest will make atonement for him for his sins that he has committed in any of these matters, and it will be forgiven him. And the rest shall, the, shall be the priest as a grain offering. So the rest is going to be offered up to the priest as a grain offering. Now, as we look at this, I want you to consider something for a minute. We're, we, in order to understand all those things that Jesus taught us in the Gospels, if we don't have a grasp of what's going on in the Old Testament, you miss the picture, you miss the point, you miss the purpose. Okay, for example, we hold our fingers here, we go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to provide us a teaching. Maybe, hopefully, perhaps, this teaching is going <clears> to <throat> speak to us a little bit louder than it did before. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer 
your gift. Jesus is talking about when they bring that sacrifice. You're coming with your peace offering. You're coming with your sin sacrifice. And there at the altar, you're ready to offer, but you remember, oh, I, I did something wrong to a brother. He says, you put it down. And you go make it right first. And then come back. Because God calls out in his law for restitution. In as much as it is possible for us, we want to try to have peace with all people. Hey, we're not always going to agree, are we? No. But we're still brothers and sisters. We're still able, should still be able to function, to move forward, to accomplish what God's calling us to do. Look, the next part, verse 14. So the Lord spoke to Moses and said, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he will bring to the Lord, as his trespass offering, a ram without blemish. Every time we see a ram offered in Scripture, immediately should take you back to Genesis 22. Immediately. In understanding how to interpret Scripture, there is a principle called the principle of first mention. First time a ram is mentioned, we see it in Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham's offering up his son Isaac. And as a substitute sacrifice, and who is our substitute sacrifice? Jesus Christ. What did God give Abraham caught in the thicket? A ram. That ram will always speak of that mercy seat, the propitiation, the hilasterion. All those words are the same. The substitute sacrifice. A ram is a picture of that substitute sacrifice that Jesus died for our transgressions, for our sin, for our failure. But there is a call for restitution. Look what he says. You're going to offer this ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. 20%. You made good plus 20%. You made good on whatever... You know, I don't know what happened to the, the holy things. You know, what, what, that would have, what that would have meant to them. You know, but something, was, something happened in which there was a, a trespass, a sin, in regard to something that was holy unto the Lord, that was treated as a common thing. It was made good. And then they gave 20% on top. And he will make this restitution. So the priest will make an atonement for him with the ram. Again, the ram always points to the substitute sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If a person sins, verse 17, and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done in the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and will bear his iniquity. And we've all known people who say, man, I'm okay, I'm a good person. The problem is God's word says there is no such thing. Everyone is a sinner, and sin has to be dealt with. It is either dealt with by placing your trust in Jesus Christ and receiving his atonement by a a substitute sacrifice, or I'm going to bear it myself. Unfortunately, those who bear it themselves don't fare so well. That's not, you're standing before a holy God. You ever been, you ever been with somebody, had somebody pop by for a visit, maybe at old church you used to go to, and and you're hanging out at home, maybe you're, maybe you're even in a little bit of an argument with your wife, or you're doing something with your kids, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and there's a preacher come to visit. Oh my gosh. Turn off the TV. Go tell the kids, get in a room. Don't come out of that room until we tell you to come out of that room. You do, all these things will take place. Stop your bickering, stop your fighting. Why? Because you... You feel like, not that it's true, you feel like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in the presence of someone, I should try to be a little more righteous. If you feel that way about any person on the planet, how much more will you feel like that before a holy God? 
So that's built into us already. And it speaks to the fact that there is something inside of us demanding that there be a price paid for sin. Well, listen, verse 18 says, Well, he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish of the flock. Again, substitute sacrifice. With your valuation is a trespass offering. So the priest shall make an atonement. Shall make an atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it and has forgiven him. Hey, even if he sinned and didn't know it was a problem, somebody brings it to his attention. Oh, the Lord says, come substitute sacrifice for you and I. Jesus Christ paid that price. But as much as is possible for us, we should try to make things right. That's what he's laying out. That's what he's telling us. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. Now I'm just going to read through these next seven verses because they're still carrying on the same idea. The Lord spoke to Moses. If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered for safekeeping or a pledge or a robbery or he is extorted or if he is found... Uh, what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely. And any one of these things that man may do in which he sins, he, that it, then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, he will restore what was stolen or the thing which he extorted or was delivered for safekeeping or lost or that which he has sworn falsely, he will restore its full value and add 20% to it. One-fifth. Add 20% to it. And give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram, substitute sacrifice, without blemish, pointing to Jesus Christ. So the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any one of the things that he has done in which he trespasses. I wanted to, tonight, set aside a little bit of time, which really is a little bit of time now, Set aside a little bit of time to do something that I always loved to do and, and I wanted to kind of introduce. We're going to, tonight, we're going to uh, just play a, a couple of worship songs. You'll notice in front of the church, the communion table set. And whenever you feel like coming up, I would encourage you, come on up. Take communion. We've been talking about trespass. We've been talking about our sin. We've been talking about confessing. We're talking about, you know, keeping your pledges, keeping your pledges to the Lord. Well, you know, I don't know if I ever made any of those that I didn't keep. You ever made a pledge that you spend more time in prayer? You intercede for others. You'd read your Bible more, whatever. These are all pledges perhaps that we made that is setting out there somewhere, just gnawing at our, at our conscience saying, what are you doing? So tonight we're going to enter into worship, and I invite you. I'm going to have uh, Kathy come on up. She'll stand up here. If anybody wants to come up for prayer, come on up and pray with her. Just come up and, and partake of the, of the implements. But know this, folks. The picture of all that we've been talking about tonight is at this table. For you and I, it's these implements. Remember John chapter 6? What did Jesus say? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Now, it wasn't his actual flesh or blood he's talking about. He's talking about ingesting him, making him a part of you. And that is what the Middle Eastern cultures believe took place when you share a meal together. That's what that table's all about. Sharing that with Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray and we're going to enter into a time of worship and we invite you while we're worshiping. As the Spirit moves you, whatever, just come on up. And and you can take it back to your seat. You can take it up here. Whatever you're feeling like uh, when the worship's over, uh, time is done and we'll have a time of fellowship together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can come before you. We thank you for the word. We thank you that you taught us that man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I thank you, Lord, that we have gone through... Three, two or three chapters of your word, period. Nothing but you speaking. God laying out for us these precepts that will help us understand 
how to commune with you. Tonight, Lord, as we just seek your face in this time of communion, Lord, we want to remember what you've done. If, if we know that there's unconfessed sin in our life, may we remember that unconfessed sin. Confess that sin. Receive forgiveness. Be cleansed of all unrighteousness and partake in a time of fellowship with you in communion. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in this place. We lift this time up to you, Lord, and we just ask that, Father, you, uh, you would bless this time, you would anoint this time. Father, that it might be a special time. I know we've all got places to go and, and preach or talk too long, but we're going to just take, set aside these five, eight minutes and just say, Lord, this is your time. This is your time, just me and you. And spend that time with him, calling upon his name, drawing near unto him. Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory for that which you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.